Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People this week, Patel has gone, but there's still questions over who knew what and when. Did Pretty Patel meet Foreign Office officials on her visit to Israel? Anger at Boris Johnson. Just why is he unsackable? He cannot be trusted to do this job and he should resign. And there's labour of questions to answer about how sex allegations are dealt with. Shocked, horrified and deeply sympathetic to his family. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett. Ned Simons, hello Ned. Hello. Mr Paul War, hello you Paul. Hello. And Rachel Wearmouth. Hello. Hello Rachel, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Excellent, good to hear. Let's crack on, shall we? Uh, well, it's the news that everyone was glued to yesterday, certainly on, on Twitter anyway. Pretty Patel uh, was effectively sacked by Theresa May on Wednesday after it was revealed she held a host of undisclosed meetings with Israeli officials during a so-called holiday. Downer Street confirmed after a 33-minute meeting, the now former International Development Secretary had quote, resigned from her post, although in reality she was asked to quit. Patel was ordered by the Prime Minister to abandon an official trip to Africa and return home, and at one point 22,000 people were tracking her Kenya Airways flight live online as she came back to the UK to face the music. After the meeting in Downing Street, Patel admitted her actions fell below the high standards that are expected, a line that echoed Sir Michael Fallon's justification for quitting as Defence Secretary a week ago. Here is Ian Duncan-Smith explaining why this is slightly different from the Fallon resignation. The Pretty Patel uh, issue is a wholly different and a more normal kind of cabinet departure problem, which is that uh, the Prime Minister uh, recognised that uh, she didn't have the full facts when she had first spoken to Pretty Patel. Pretty Patel recognised her behaviour was frankly unacceptable uh, and came back and resigned, and I think that is exactly what should have happened. But although Pretty Patel has gone, there are still questions about who knew what and when. Here's Labour's Deputy Leader, Tom Watson. Because obviously, if Pretty Patel did meet Foreign Office officials from the consulate in East Jerusalem, it shows there was knowledge at the Foreign Office uh, and that they've not been entirely accurate about uh, their knowledge of Pretty Patel's conduct when she was out there. And as we record this podcast, we fully expect that Penny Mordaunt will be <laughs> unveiled as a new International Development Secretary at any moment. Unless she's not, in which Unless case she's not, that in bit. which case, <laughs> then it will be, insert name here, revealed, it'll be uh, Tracy Crouch or, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Alistair Burt. No, we think it's going to be Penny Mordaunt, right? I mean, listeners yeah, will like, literally know yeah. the answer to this question, but in this room now, yes. we think it's her. Yes. Right, yeah. let's, let's talk about, first of all, Pretty Patel. So, it seems this is such a mental week, especially for those of us who have briefings from the Prime Minister's official spokesperson, because it seemed like they didn't really know what was going on. It seems to be that at the meeting that she had with the Prime Minister on Monday, she fessed off about these 12 meetings she'd had while she'd been in Israel. What she didn't reveal was, number one, the content of one of those meetings, which was she promised British aid to the Israeli army in the Golan Heights, which is an area of Israel slash Syria the British government don't recognise as belonging to Israel. And number two, she then didn't reveal 
two further meetings with Israeli officials when she came back to the UK, and that's what did for her. Is that right? That is right. Although, in a strange way, it all now seems slightly academic. I mean, uh, in my opinion, um, Theresa May didn't sack um, Pretty Patel. The BBC sacked Pretty Patel. James Landale, thankfully, through his, through his scoops, uh, which ought to be credited, um, was the one who'd managed to get information. Who knows where from? A lot of Brexiteers think it's from the Foreign Office knifing Pretty Patel. But wherever he got the information, he got some dynamite, which was... Pretty Patel had failed to tell the Prime Minister the full extent of her own sort of independent foreign policy on Israel. So that's that's really what caused her to go. The fact that she hadn't been straight with the Prime Minister, having had a one-on-one meeting. So, But I do think that Theresa May, even before that point, there was more than enough evidence that uh, Pretty Patel had breached the ministerial code and should have referred her case for a breach of that code. And that, that to me, shows just how weak she was. Instead, Theresa May referred the code. Theresa May said... (laughs) She referred the the code to the code. She said the code is not clear. The code's pretty goddamn clear in the situation, right? So she said... So she made a decision that the Pretty Patel had broken the code and she referred the code to make it clearer. However, these two meetings have come alight, which have now come to light which are basically the same as the other meetings. So she decided the original meetings didn't break the code. Why do these two meetings break the code? It's well, almost like uh, Ned is making it up as yeah. she goes along. And there's also one aspect of it, which isn't I'm not quite clear on. So um, Alastair Burt said that the Foreign Office and DFID found out about the meetings on August the 24th. Theresa May says that she found out that Patel met Netanyahu on like last Friday. So there's quite a long time when, am I wrong in this, that the Foreign Office and DFID knew about the meetings, but Theresa May didn't. And that's sort of being lost in the mix a bit as well, because it, why it, didn't the Foreign Office tell has. Theresa and, May? And I personally think, I mean, the, the Pretty Patel was hauled over the calls for for, um, for suggesting to the Guardian last week um, that somehow she'd lied because she told the Guardian, well, Boris was aware of this. Now, I don't think that's been explored enough, and we can come on to Boris, because... I suspect Boris was aware of it, but the Foreign Office wasn't. Now, I think there's, that's the area that needs to be explored out of this. A lot of the stuff that, you know, the the who's and why's and when's, now are all academic now that Priti Patel has gone. But the one thing that, the question that really should be pushed, and maybe Labour have missed the trick here, is was Priti Patel actually telling the truth? You wouldn't tell a barefaced lie like that, would you, that Boris knew about it? I mean, would you? Uh, I, I wouldn't. No, uh, I wouldn't, Paul. Um, (laughs) But Rachel, I mean, Ian Douglas Smith was keen to point out in that clip we heard that this is not like the Michael Fallon resignation. This was a normal resignation, if you will. Does that mean that it's more damaging to Theresa May or less damaging to Theresa May? Um, Well, one of the things that really struck me about this whole thing was that Prit Patel went to meet Theresa May and said to her that she'd fessed up the whole affair and then it turned out a couple of days later that she hadn't so it just underlines the complete lack of respect she presumably has for the Prime Minister so no matter that she had to do this long 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 walk of shame while we all followed her flight (laughs) back from Africa it still just underlines how weak Theresa is. And I think that's a really important point that Rachel makes which is the lack of respect for the Prime Minister because uh, the most telling image is is Priti Patel in her apprentice style leaving car last night smiling it wasn't a mona lisa smile it it was a richter smile or anything like that it was a real genuine smile she she was happy 
And that's really, really strange state of affairs, someone who's just been in theory sacked. She was happy because she knew that actually she'd stayed as long as she could because she has a massive support amongst Brexiteers. And she knew that ultimately that's one of the real reasons that and the, Theresa May has very limited room for manoeuvre in her replacement with Penny Morden, who is a Brexiteer. So if you're a Brexiteer, you're quite pleased right now. You've got the Prime Minister exactly where you want her. It's quite funny that Netanyahu met with Theresa May last week and didn't, and but to be fair, still didn't know these meetings had gone on Pretty Patel. So I like the idea of Netanyahu sort of coming in and going, and someone introduced him to Pretty Patel, and him about to say, "Oh, good to see him." Patel's going, "No, just <laughs> like, it reminds me a little bit of like Fredo in The Godfather Part Two, where like suddenly he's the one revealed to have like met with other people. It's like you broke my heart, Pretty, you broke my heart. Uh, I thought that. Was and don't forget, Patel also, even in her resignation letter, talked about an independent Britain and all this stuff. It was like it was like a love letter to the Brexit movement, saying, "Look, I'm one of you." Oh, she's not going anywhere. I mean, the idea she's going to go back and sort of be quiet on the back benches is, is for the birds. She's going to be like the the negative Anna Subri. Yeah. You know, Anna yeah. Subri, one side of the Commons, um, sort of chucking down these bombs from the Remainer point of view, and then pretty much stand up the other side and give it the full Brexit whack. It's going to be amazing to watch. Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating. Um, before we let's have a little break from politics now and just and just talk about another one of my favourite subjects, everyone, which is books, books and reading. Oh yeah, but actually, I like listening to books as well. I listen to books on Audible. Oh. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, one of the books that's out recently is Richard Branson's Finding My Virginity. His new autobiography, would you believe? It's out now. You can get it as an audiobook via Audible. Uh, it's published by Penguin Random House Audio, which is a good name, I suppose. And it's uh, the unabridged edition read by Steve West is out now. And the abridged edition read by Richard himself will be out later this year. As I said, it's available to buy from Audible. I, mean, I don't really know what I could say about Richard Branson other than the fact that Everyone knows who this guy is. And he's a hero to me because he sort of helped kickstart the punk movement because he got the Sex Pistols going. He had the big sign of the Never Mind the Bollocks album in, in uh, I think it was a store in Nottingham, which was put up and then a traffic warden came along and complained about it being obscene. He took him to court over it. And he, this is true, isn't it, Paul? He was a big, big guy in the punk Absolutely. movement. Absolutely. And he started off Virgin Records and he's gone and done loads of other things. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm old enough to remember those early Virgin Records. Um, <laughs> and I remember um, how important he was. Obviously, these had a great long career in in business as well so and jumpers and bids i know and he's also been in the bond film he was in um he was in what was the other what was the one but casino royale wasn't casino royale he's in like in the airport getting scanned and they had they had to delete it when they showed it on british airways flights to delete that's, that scene uh, out. that's brilliant that was a airways. debut listener by our you know our wonderful that was our wonderful sound engineer, sound engineer, sound engineer obviously very animated. so yeah so i mean i'm sure that also there's stuff in there about business if you want to know how to become really rich it's probably quite a good book to listen to what you're saying ed yeah, then you listen to it. So yeah, that's Richard Branson's Following My Virginity. It's uh, published by Penguin Random House Audio. Uh, the unabridged version is out now by Steve West. And the abridged edition read by Richard himself will be out later this year. And that's available to buy from Audible. So have a listen. Anyway, back to politics. And one cabinet minister who has definitely not resigned is Boris Johnson, despite an arguably much more serious error than anything done by Priti Patel. Addressing the Foreign Affairs Committee last week, Johnson said a British-Iranian citizen was in jail in Iran for, quote, simply teaching people journalism, a claim strongly denied by Nazim Zaghari Ratcliffe and her family. Johnson's remarks were cited as evidence by the Iranian authorities that Zaghari Ratcliffe was not in the country on holiday, as she had claimed, and her five-year jail sentence could now be extended. Here is the closest Boris came to an apology for his terrible error 
in the Commons this week. Of course, uh, I'm sorry if any uh, words of mine have been so taken out of context and uh, so misconstrued as to cause uh, any kind of anxiety for the family of Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe. Of course I am. Of course I am. And his apology slash non-apology was not enough for many. Here's Labour's Yvette Cooper tearing a strip off the Foreign Secretary. That means he will know that the lives and the safety of British citizens across the globe depend on having a Foreign Secretary who does not bluster and who is not too careless or too lazy to consider his words. Will the Foreign Secretary now apologise? trusted to do this job and he should resign why is boris johnson unsackable i mean what pictures has he got of theresa may doing so i mean this is ridiculous yeah. ned i mean it is, this it's just i mean I, I know like what's going on it's extraordinary actually um richard so the husband of the, of the woman in jail uh, came in and did a, a video blog for HuffPost uk and it's really moving talking about how hard it is for him you know with with his wife um, over there. And it's, it's not it, just his wife, it's his three-year-old and, daughter yeah, exactly. not allowed to leave the country it, as well. Exactly. She's with the, the, the grandparents. It's yeah. quite heartbreaking. So how Boris still sometimes is sort of, not joking his way through it, but that, that kind of classic Boris bumbling answers to stuff, it doesn't really sit very well. His kind of reaction to it as well as what he initially did. I think one of the things that uh, Richard Radcliffe said as well was that he, um, if Boris was going to stay in place, that he had to take action and he had to actually go out and uh, see Nazanin and sort this situation out, get her home by Christmas. So that's, that in itself should be, a, should be a kind of pressure for Boris Johnson, but the rules are always quite different for him. Well, you've seems. been around politics a long time, uh, as you hinted at. Is this the most incompetent cabinet minister with serious consequences that you can remember? Well, it's certainly the the most serious error by a foreign secretary I can ever remember because, you know, foreign secretaries are specifically supposed to be aware that every word they use matters. Diplomacy is all about words at the end of the day. And if you drop um, even a hint that somehow what a British national who is already in jail deserves to be there, then you would have thought under normal circumstances that is a sackable offence. But, come back to the point we made earlier, Boris is a Brexiteer. He is unsackable. He's become even more unsackable since the snap election. And don't forget there were these stories this summer, quite interesting stories, which suggested that actually the night as uh, Theresa May saw those awful polls coming in, the exit poll and the, the dreadful realisation she'd lost the party, their majority, um, she rang Boris Johnson in, in a bit of a panic and asked him what he was going to do. And he reassured her, and she was on the edge of tears, allegedly. He reassured her, no, I'm not going to come for you. I'm not going to launch a leadership bid. That's the dynamic you've always got to remember in all this stuff. That's how much she relies on Boris Johnson. She's so scared. She wasn't previously scared of him. She gave him that job just as sort of originally in July 2016 as a way of balancing out um, all the different wings of the Tory party it seemed quite shrewd we said at the time look um, and how long ago this seems now we said at the time that maybe she just realizes Boris is going to make a massive gaffe at some point and sack himself but actually in the current climate it seems no matter what gaffe he he creates he, he, he won't be sacked by her because it's also, worth, again, worth remembering that we were saying that Liam Fox, surely it'd be either Fox or Boris that went first. Liam Fox right now, he must be sitting pretty thinking, oh, thanks very much. And I'm the great survivor. Fallon's gone. Patel's gone. You know, who, could, who else? can't get negotiations going. Who so, else yeah. could be next? So, you know, 
steps but, but the forward lane though, this is this is the I see what you're saying about the whole Boris or Brexit here, blah blah blah. You got to keep him there. But surely this is if you wanted to get rid of him, this is the perfect excuse because it's not about Brexit. It's not about direction of British policy. It is purely about Boris Johnson's competence. And surely even you know even. Michael Gove saw that. I mean, should we not all be going up, ringing up Michael Gove and saying, God, thank God you did what you did last summer because, my goodness, we could have been Boris as Prime Minister. <laughs> Do we all owe Michael Gove an apology? Because he, he... Imagine if Boris was Prime Minister well, now. Gove was right, obviously. And, and maybe yeah. Michael should be saying that. Um, I bumped into Michael Gove earlier this week, actually, and I said, look, you're the Fine. only Brexiteer. You're the only Brexiteer. Not in trouble, Michael. And he saw well, the funny side. I'll tell you this. I saw him in front of a House of Lords EU committee and was sad. And he didn't come across like a Brexiteer. He spent 20 minutes talking about what the good things EU had done for the environment. I thought, oh, you've gone a bit native there, He's Michael. not really gone but native. No, but seriously, do you not think that, that, that Boris, this would be the time to get him? This is the pretense you need. Yeah, this must be above but that, politics. But, but that, that's the thing, as Paul said, and we're talking about, that's how weak May is. Because if you wanted to, this is absolutely the reason you can do it. And like you said, this isn't about Brexit. It's not, you could argue it's not about internal Tory politics. So if she wanted to do it, this is how she could do it. And she hasn't and won't because how extraordinarily weak she is. It makes you wonder what would he need to do yeah. to be fine. Exactly. <laughs> There's nothing really worse than this. And just imagine, I'm not saying this is the case, dear listener, at all. But just imagine the thought experiment that... Um, that this um, woman in Iran, just imagine she is working for the British government. Just imagine how much worse it is, even worse, if she was a spy and the foreign secretary had confirmed she was a spy. He's the head of the part of government, the foreign office, which is in charge of MI6. So under either scenario, even if she is or isn't a a, a spy, it's a disaster. This happened to Stanley Johnson. And Stanley Johnson, I think he wrote about it, borrowed his father, that he was... I think doing something maybe for the Foreign Office somewhere, we shouldn't have been doing it. And his cover story was that he was a desk sergeant in some embassy. And he went to a party and they said, oh, what are you doing? He said, I'm a desk sergeant in the embassy. And the bloke went, no, you're not, because I'm a desk sergeant in the embassy. So he completely buggered <laughs> up his own story. He hadn't done the research when he was at the party. I mean, it really is like father like son, isn't it? Um, he also, there's, there's a lot of other things that he's done that people forget already. I mean, he joked about dead Libyans. Yeah. I mean, that, sh- that in itself should just be yeah. unforgivable. Exactly. Yeah. Another non-Brexit example. Yeah, there's plenty there, isn't there, to sort of move him on. But uh, but he's just he, he is the great survivor. Anyway, um, a former Welsh government minister who was suspended by Labour over his personal conduct was found dead this week. Carl Sargent quit his post as cabinet secretary for communities and children in Cardiff last week after what he called shocking and distressing allegations were made against him. His body was found at his home on Tuesday and the North Wales Police says they're not treating his death as suspicious. Labour MP Dawn Butler initially called for an independent investigation into how Welsh Labour had handled the allegations, but then withdrew her calls, saying that she was satisfied the appropriate process was followed, including preserving the anonymity of the alleged victims at this stage of the process. Here's Jeremy Corbyn on that process. All allegations must be examined and must be pursued, but... There also has to be great pastoral care and support given to everybody involved in these accusations so that, and also that we deal with them all, all parties, as quickly as possible. Welsh First Minister Carwyn Jones is meeting Labour Assembly members in Cardiff today and he'll be expected to explain why he spoke about the allegations in television interviews on Monday, three days after the investigation into Sergeant was passed on to the National Party to deal with. He'll also be asked to say whether he heard about previous allegations, and if so, what he'd done about them. This is obviously, uh, you know, the most sort of tragic news you can imagine in this in this context. And I suppose it does raise questions about we've heard a lot, and rightly, about 
people coming forward who have been victims of sexual harassment, sexual misdemeanor, sexual assault. But how do you take care of the people that have been accused? How do you how do you how do you do that? What's gone wrong here? Well, the difficulty here, of course, is if you've got a, a sitting cabinet minister, that's effectively what he is in Wales, um, and you're the Labour Party, you can't ignore allegations and serious allegations, not just by one person, but by more than one person, allegations against them. You can't ignore them. So given that Labour has spent the last few weeks saying that Damien Green should step aside as a as cabinet office minister pending an investigation to claims against him it would look a bit odd if Labour hadn't followed through on their own belief which is if you're under suspicion you're suspended and then there's an investigation Um, so that's what's happened in the case of Kelvin Hopkins in the case of um, Jared uh, O'Mara you know this is consistent with their, their policy what is different here is it appears that well certainly his family are saying that they weren't told the detail of the allegations now, again, there, how much detail does a, is a, a so-called defendant allowed to know without identifying the complainants? At an early stage in the process, obviously at some point in the process, he will have to be told who that, that complainant is. But at an early stage in the process, you could argue it was good enough for the Labour to, to say, as they did, um, directly to him, that he'd been accused of unwanted attention, inappropriate touching or groping. And that would be enough no, without saying where or when. Um, and his family obviously thinks that's not good enough. But I think from Labour's point of view that that for them gave them sufficient grounds to suspend him. And just sort of moving on from, uh, you know, the sort of individual here, you know, Carwin Jones got lots of questions to answer. He's the, the sort of Welsh Labour leader. Is, is, is I'm mean, expecting a statement from later this afternoon. You might have already heard by the time this podcast comes out. Is he a man who's particularly popular with Welsh Assembly members as it is, or is he someone who perhaps hasn't got a lot of currency to call on in this respect? Um, I, I don't think he's he's deep, deeply unpopular, um, and I think a lot of people, a lot of the other Assembly members, have said that he's, he's just as upset as they are because he was also a, a friend of Carl Sargent's. Um, there are some people who are very close to Carl Sargent who've called for him to resign in particular uh, Bernie Attridge he's the deputy leader of Flintshire Council and he said um, the way you've treated Carl is unforgivable you make me sick um, so he's got some questions to answer so that, cause that's pretty strong language and I think um, his response is going to have to be um, going to have to answer a lot of their concerns, I think. He's got to explain why he made that, that interview, why he gave that interview on Monday, which everyone says prejudiced the case. He's going to have to say why it didn't prejudice the case. Yeah. And that's the big difficulty. He, 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 he has an out, which is he can say, look, actually, as soon as the Labour Party nationally took control of this, it was out of my hands. It was their decision... Uh, in terms of suspension, so he had no influence on what the outcome would yeah, be. Yeah, their right. decision in terms of suspension, and crucially, they're they're they are the ones responsible for duty of care thereafter to to Carl. He might say that. Uh, let's move on now. It's been a week dominated by obviously what's been going on with Pretty Patel and Boris Johnson and the like, but there has been other things going on, believe it or not. <laughs> and a very own Rachel Wearmouth with her own personal, in case you missed it, section. <laughs> talk, talk us through some of the things that we might have missed this week while we were watching Pretty Patel fly over. Belgium, where it was. Okay, um, well, while her plane was in the air, oh. Mar- Mark Garnier apologised. Um, if if no one remembers what happens with Mar- happened with Mark Garnier, he um, 
he's been investigated by the cabinet office to see whether he broke the ministerial code because he asked his former assistant to buy sex toys in Soho and referred to her as sugar tits. I love the timing of his statement. <laughs> Everyone's watching Pretty Patel. Oh, I'll just release his statement now. Like, to my local paper. Yeah. 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 He, he told the Kidderminster shuttle <laughs> um, rather than um, oh, anyone else. That tickled you, didn't it? That tickled you, didn't it? <laughs> it did. It's yeah. a great yeah. name for paper. <laughs> shuttle, yeah. Um, he I said... what's he, called that? Because in Kidderminster. He, he apologised, said his constituents were... were um, entitled to expect better and um better vibrators or uh, better behavior pass. Sorry. Right. <laughs> and um, and um he said the old favorite of oh it was all taken outside the context I, we were friends um so i'm quite good friends with ned but i've never asked <laughs> to go <laughs> buy sex toys <laughs> yeah, <well. laughs> but yeah um, that was buried um, another really important piece of news, which a lot of people don't seem to have picked up on, is um, the Scottish Conservatives want uh, Theresa May to alter the Brexit bill. Um, so Adam Tompkins, who's sort of the uh, Scottish Tories' legal brain, he's um, the the Constitution spokesman up in Holyrood. Um, he's asked. He's got quite a lot of clout north of the border. He's um, picked up on the sort of Westminster power grab. Um, a, a criticism that the SNP have been hitting Theresa May with saying there's about 111 powers that are to come back um, from Brussels and this will affect things like um, agriculture, rail franchises, uh, fracking licences um, and he wants to make sure that a lot of those powers will end up going to Holyrood so he's asked for movement on both sides. So Is that something that Ruth Davidson's backing? Obviously we know she's a yeah. real power player now in the Tory party. Well she's kind of, Adam Tompkins is like Ruth Davidson's right hand man. Right, so, so this has so come from the very top then. This, yeah, is, this, the, is, a, this is a big thing then. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a big deal. It, it kind of, it's a threat to say Scottish Tories will rebel on this issue unless mm. um, there's some movement on, on that line. Um, Another thing we missed this week is the government is in a complete mess over childcare. Um, it's free childcare policy. We um, carried information it obtained under the Freedom of Information Act, um, which showed that when the policy launched, and I guess everyone knows it was a complete disaster when it launched, um, but we found out that the areas of high rent, high cost of living, sort of inner London, outer London, east of England, the Midlands were p particularly badly affected. So something like 40% of parents couldn't get their free childcare place when it would, when it launched. Um, and the government is freely admitting now that there are still 10% of parents across the country that can't access this free childcare of their three and four year olds. A, which lot, of a lot of stuff's been going on there. Are we going to yeah, them? yeah. Uh, one of the other things that went on was uh, this thing about the Brexit impact studies. When we, when are we going to see them, Ned? Where are they? Because apparently well, there isn't one, or there might be some. <laughs> Depends which day of the week you ask David Davis. Because if he wants to show off, we've done all this work. Can we look at it? Oh God, no, we haven't, we haven't done it. I mean, it's not all pulled together. But uh, we do know that the they uh, I think it's fifty six or fifty eight different in impact studies. Fifty eight. Fifty eight. And we well, know which sectors they're areas. in, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is leading up to a quiz. Right. So I'm going to ask you about really whether annoyed. or not they have done it's just this an glint. impact study into this area of the economy or not. Okay. If they have, deep impact. Oh. Cool. Yeah. That's, if they a haven't, that's a movie. If they haven't, then wanted. What, sorry? Wanted. Want, right. They've both got Morgan Freeman in. What's, but what's that got to do with okay, deep yeah. impact? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to say one. Okay, ready? Oh, this is has terrible. the government done an impact study into... The impact of Brexit on space. No. Aerospace or space? Space. The, the final frontier. <laughs> I'm going to say Aerospace yeah. would make sense. I think they have. Something to do with like the European Space Agency, our involvement in that, that kind of thing. Ned's saying yes. I'm saying no, just because it... Paul Ward's saying no. Contrary. Wanted, no. Wanted, no. 
The answer is Deep Impact. They have. Ah. Number 52. The space. Uh, post. <laughs> have they done post. one? Post. An impact study of Brexit on post. I reckon no, but they should have done. I'm going to say yes because of, I don't know, rules about takeovers of postal services or stuff. Deep Impact. Deep Impact. You're right. They did do that on uh, post. Journalism. <laughs> they done an impact uh, no. on journalism. Wanted. Paul Wall? No. Journalism specifically, not journalism media. Journalism specifically. Um, wanted. Correct. They haven't done one on journalism <laughs> or media. They have done broadcasting, but there we are. Hair and beauty. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ned. <laughs> you didn't qualify really, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cruel. <laughs> I'm going to say no. Wanted. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. One. Yeah, I agree with Paul. No. Um, wanted. You're right. They didn't do one. They did professional services. Uh, and finally, uh, glass. Deep impact. Glass. Glass, <laughs> not glass. Uh, I'm going to say yes. Glass. I would say glass. No. <laughs> one to, uh, deep impact. Yeah, deep impact. No. No, wanted. they didn't. Oh. They did glass industry. They did do gambling. They did crafts. And uh, <laughs> crafts and uh, video games. Cool. All right. Can I tell you a post story? Have we got time? Yeah. Go in, on. So, well, in France, if you send a letter to the UK, it's yeah. already classified as a third country, so it costs more. They're already moving. No, moving really? to Brexit. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. yeah, yeah. Since when? Um, relatively you recently. Letters from France. No, my friend's French wife is sending letters from That's France. That's fascinating. She sends letters. I like that. <laughs> people. <laughs> Real people. So all these little French pen friends you have at school when you're in year eight, it's yeah. going to cost a lot more money now, is it? For the French people. Oh, good. Brilliant. <laughs> Everyone's a winner. Wee. Stop asking for football shirts and stuff. Anyway, uh, that was this week's podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And we're off now to uh, see if Penny Morden really is. Uh, <laughs> whether this is all a waste of time. She's going to make a big splash. Get it? Oh, oh. sorry about that. See you later, everyone. <laughs> Bye. 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 Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.